As we record this, dear listeners, and as you listen, this is one of the hottest days of the year. So if you hear cries of, I'm melting, then you know that you're listening to The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And this is our theme tune. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meekin. And as we record this, and probably as you listen to this, it's one of the hottest summers on record. In fact, it's so hot that I think it's as hot as Val Guest's The Day the Earth Caught Fire. I am right, Andy, it is Val Guest. The Day the Earth Caught Fire, the Leo McKern, uh, Janet Munro film. Yeah, uh, 1961, Val Guest. Fantastic film. Absolutely fantastic film. And if you've not got a chance to see it, just go outside and live it. Yeah, just 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 burn that. Come burn to a neighbourhood near you. I mean, I, and remember, if you, if you're ginger, then uh, <laughs> did you see the news of uh, the showcase cinemas in Essex? No, no. What was that? Because uh, I mean, we're recording this on the Sunday as usual, and they're predicting it's going to be forty degrees um, Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> showcase in Essex are inviting gingers in for free. Uh, to get out of the sun. I don't know whether that's insulting <laughs> or pure genius. I'm uh, having not been I mean, ginger. The, the, track, the traction on their social feeds regarding it has even the people who are ne- being negative about it and saying it's discriminatory against people who aren't ginger and things like that. It's like, yeah, but it's had an impact and everyone knows about it. I don't live in Essex, yet I know about it. People are going to be aware of it. But um, as I've replied to it, uh, the news on this, is how are they going to know that people haven't just dyed the hair? Because it's probably more expensive to dye your hair <laughs> ginger than it will be to go to the cinema, even in Essex. Uh, hello, Essex, if you're listening. But uh, yeah, I think it's probably more expensive to dye your hair. But uh, what do I know? I'm, what I'm do kind we of, know? What do we know? What we do know is is that um, you're hot. still in Banbury. <laughs> yes, and I'm it's still hot. in Banbury, and it's very hot. I should be travelling back tomorrow, but with the peak temperatures, there's potentially going to be rail disruption because uh, they'll have to run the trains slower on the tracks. I wonder what happens in other countries that are always this hot. Why Why is it in the UK, as soon as a bit of snow falls, everything stops? Or as soon as the sun comes out, everything stops? We are a useless nation, let's be honest about it. <laughs> we are ill-prepared is, is, at, is at best. For once we were a great empire, um, <laughs> we are ill-prepared for bad weather because we get it every year torrential uh, thunderstorms, we fall apart, snow, uh, wrong leaves on the track, uh, <laughs> sun, because it melts the tracks. And you're right, I lived in Spain for a year and everybody copes and they have yeah. sometimes torrential downpours and sometimes they have hotter days than this and the cities don't grind to a standstill because we, we've been told not to leave the house in some, some areas of the country. Or if your children are going to school, uh, keep them in, lock them in, put them in fridges, that kind of thing. Keep them cool. <laughs> Don't put uh, children in fridges. I just need to say that to all the listeners yeah, out there. If you're listening a... <laughs> uh, uh, in your car, that was a, a, a weak attempt at a joke. And please don't put your <laughs> child in a fridge. But if you do leave them in the car, wind down the window. However, do dogs. do put Indiana Jones in a fridge because he can survive anything. Because uh, it's lead-lined. Yes. Uh, still makes lead... perfect sense to me. I, I Still makes perfect sense. <laughs> I... I, I... No, 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 no. With the intense heat, the lead would have melted. Ignoring that, with the huge distance that it flew, he would have still been bashed around and be a broken oh, corpse yeah. in that fridge. 
yeah, sh- yeah. That film should have just ended with the fridge opening and his dead, charred body rolling out, and then the end credits go up. Da, 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 da. As they poured him out of the fridge. That would have been the only thing that would have been remaining, wouldn't it? They've just they've poured out been... Indy in it. And then you've got a, a subplot where they clone him. Anyway. Lo- anyway. Loads of people walking out of the screen crying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with the rail disruptions that are going to be aff- like affected by heat, travelling back to Sheffield is going to be a nightmare tomorrow, yeah. I reckon. Uh, but there's also more rail disruptions coming. And yes, this is two weeks on the run that I've said this. We're not a political show, but I'm going to have a soapbox political rant at this point in time. Okay, go for it. In the UK, rail workers uh, are doing a series of strikes because they're wanting better pay rises. They've been offered 2% and no one wants to budge. And 2%, they the unions say, is in this day and age with rising costs, etc. And the fact that most rail workers haven't had a pay rise for two years is an insult and a slap in the face. And I am completely on the side of the rail workers here. Even though they are affecting my journeys to and from Banbury, I am completely on their side with it. Because when ministers turn around with things like, oh, well, they earn on average 60K per year. Yeah, and people who work in the cinema probably earn on average 40K per year or more. But I don't, because I'm at the lower end of that. Saying 60K average doesn't account for the people who are on the lower end of the pay, who are struggling. Um, These are the people who work long shifts on long journeys with the lives of passengers being relied on their alertness and attentiveness. If I make a mistake in my job, most of the time, the worst that happens, we run out of popcorn. (laughs) If a train driver makes a mistake, the most likely outcome is serious casualties and potential fatalities. They deserve more than a poxy 2% pay rise when they've been mostly stuck at the same pay for the past few years, just so the fat cats can get their profits. Privatisation of the industries in the UK from the 80s onwards has crippled this country and is why we have the huge cost of living crisis at the moment with the oil and gas supplies all privatised, the electricity supplies all privatised, all wanting to make their profits, get the fat cats their bonuses, and we, the consumers, are the ones who struggle. Privatisation, hate it. As so I said, this isn't, uh, isn't uh, a political show, and I don't know how much of that will actually make the show in the end. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you, interesting enough, Andy, I am in total agreement with you. Yeah. And I think we're going to go through, I think we are now facing as the realities of um, uh, prices going up, food prices going up, energy bills about to rocket in October. Uh, I think we are on the verge of, of probably something we've not seen in our lifetime which will be a, uh, a national strike. The, the early 70s was the last time that this was kind of happening. Yeah. There was a major striking through the 70s, and we're approaching it again because so many years of conservative rule has, uh, has made for a disgruntled workforce. And I'd like to say that I'm part of that disgruntled workforce, and I feel that something needs to change in this country. Something seriously needs to change in this country. Well, we can't make change, but we know how to vote for it. But what we yeah. can do is bring you one heck of a film file. And in this week's show, what do we have? We are doing a divisive deep dive <laughs> into Zack Snyder's. Is it underrated? Is it overrated? Is it claptrap or is it genius? We'll decide and let you decide when we talk about Sucker Punch. <laughs> Andy is going to be reviewing. Just three things from streaming this week because there's not a lot coming out. Um Rise of the Foot Soldier Origins, which had a limited cinema release last year and landed on Amazon this week. The Ledge, which has been sat on Netflix waiting for me to tackle it for the past few weeks. And then newly dropped on Disney Plus, 
Bob's Burgers, the movie. I won't be seeing anything because as of this week, I'm partially blind. But that's another story <laughs> for another time. But before any of that, of course, we have this week's news and this week's box office all wrapped up into a neat package known as this segment's The News. So let's start with the box office, as we always do, as we round up the worldwide box office. And last time we spoke, Thorlove and Thunder uh, had come straight in at the number one spot. Top Gun Maverick was holding its own high above everyone else. I'm guessing that with not much out to compete, we're not seeing a big change on figures. So, as predicted, Thor Love and Thunder had a huge drop-off this week, falling in the US 68%, and in the UK it dropped 55.4% after its opening weekend, which wasn't particularly strong, as we reported last week. Uh, US rundown of the top five, Thor Love and Thunder, even though it's got a huge drop-off, there's nothing to compete against it, so it took 46.6 million this weekend, taking the first place. Minions Rise of Gru took 26.8 million. Where the Crawdads Sing, 17.3 million, puts it into third place. Top Gun Maverick, again, still flying in there, 12.3 million. And Elvis took 8 million, taking fifth place. Here in the UK, it's pretty much more of the same. You've got Thor, Love and Thunder, still retaining the top spots. Took another 4.1 million this weekend, which takes it to just over 20 million in the UK. Minions Rise of Gru took second place, 2.7 million, taking it to 23.1 million after three weeks. Elvis took another million, taking it to 16.2 million total so far in the UK. Top Gun Maverick, 810,000. It's up to 72.3 million in the UK. A phenomenal success. And Jurassic World Dominion still holding in just about with 382,000, uh, taking its total in the UK to 32.5 million. Minions Rise of Gru is already up to 534 million worldwide. Thor Love and Thunder is just under 500 million worldwide so far. And Top Gun is now up to 1.238 billion, making it the biggest film of the year. Will anything towards the end of the year surpass it? We'll have to wait and see. So with the heat wave that's constant in the UK, um, I'm guessing that part of that massive drop-off for Thor UK-wise is because of the weather, because, you know, um, we are that nation that as soon as we get a couple of nice days that we want to stick ourselves outside and just hope for the best because we never know when we're going to get another summer. So Thor's had a bit of a, we predicted a bit of a drop off, as you just said. Yeah. But the word of mouth on it has let it down. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about it and we said how problematic it is. And, uh, even though we enjoyed it, we walked away in an enjoyable movie. We didn't walk away from a great enjoyable movie. We walked yeah. away from an entertaining film at best. So does that mean we are going to see a struggling summer? Because what's our next big release? This summer is, summers normally have a bit of a drop off mid-August and then September is usually quite light, but you usually get one or two interesting things. But this summer is looking significantly low on content due to various release date shuffles and postponed productions. Coming up in the next few weeks, we've got Super Pets and Bullet Train and Nope. But then, once you get to the second week of August, there's nothing, nothing that comes out of any significance until mid-October, when Halloween ends and Black Adam come out. That's a two-month chunk, where the only things that kind of stood out on the release schedule, particularly in the UK, 
is reissues of the Star Trek films, remasters in 4K, reissue a re-release of Spider-Man No Way Home to, you know, scrape a bit more money out of that one, a re-release of Jackie Brown to tie into the anniversary, and a re-release of Avatar because the new film's coming out, James Cameron's seeing whether or not he can scrape a bit more money out of the original one. And if the only things that stand out for two months is re-releases, that's not going to help cinemas. And the UK cinema industry at the moment is is really racking its brain as to what they can do to keep audiences entertained over the summer period because there's it's such light content. Why have we had this? I mean, we were talking quite recently that there was a glut of movies that were trying to find pole position, were trying to find an opening in the market. Clearly, the next couple of weeks, there's an, an open market. Why aren't we seeing the films that had been pushed back or delayed, uh, schedule changes, uh, filling those time slots? Well, we have seen them, and they've all been going on to streaming, particularly the Sony ones. Right. Um, we've reviewed a few of them on the show. Some animated movies went straight to Netflix. Uh, there was The Man from Toronto, which for ages was supposed to be a cinema release and then suddenly just landed on streaming. And this is the problem, is that some of the studios, they've had these things sat in post-production for so long that they just thought, oh, let's just write it off and just dumped it into streaming instead, rather than going through the marketing campaigns again to get them on the big screen. And it it's left us with a, a vacant summer. Because there's an appetite for the cinema, and we, we've seen that with, with Top Gun Maverick. So people have gone to see it and clearly gone to see it more than once because it's doing such remarkable business. I'm... I'm surprised at distribution on this one to have left such a gap between... Well, well, Bullet Train can potentially do pretty good based on whatever reviews it's going to get. Yeah, Thor's not set the box office alight, even though it's, it undoubtedly will make its money back uh, and won't be considered uh, a flop, nor will it be considered a, a huge hit. So yeah. it's, it's an odd time, and I can't quite ever remember such a, uh, an anemic summer release schedule. <laughs> Aside from during covid yeah yeah absolutely when there was no one ever counts um one of the films that has moved which has caused a bit of a gap early september we would have seen a film that we've been looking forward to salem's lot yeah it's now been pushed back to april the 21st next year wonder why apparently there was covid related issues in post-production that was slowing things down which is why there's not been any marketing started on it yet there was a a handful of days of additional photography that are still required which again covid has got in the way of and so they've just decided, you know what, let's just give it a chance so that we can get this film finished properly rather than rushing it, which I can see their point. Yeah. The exit of Salem's Lot really post, paints a bleak box office picture for the next few months. There's basically nothing like we've said. In addition, Warners have also announced that their Train to Busan and House Party remakes have both fallen off the schedule with no dates attached anymore. I mean, th- this is probably a lot of fallout from the Warner's Discovery merger. Yeah. They're, they're now reconsidering what things they do, what goes to streaming, what goes to HBO, what goes uh, to cinemas, and everything's up in the air still. But it is disappointing that, you know, I was really looking forward to Salem's Lot. I hope that by the time it arrives next year, it will be the film that we want it to be. We still got Wakanda Forever to release later this year. Which, again, no marketing for yet. Yeah, but that's very Marvel, isn't it? We've got, we have got Comic-Con coming up. Yeah. And I imagine that's where we're going to get a lot. Absolutely. As you're talking about Wakanda Forever. Oh, okay. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya has confirmed while doing promotional tours for Nope, which is due out in a couple of weeks, 
that he's not actually going to be in the Black Panther sequel. Okay. I didn't see a reason for him to be in this sequel, so it doesn't come as a surprise. Uh, It doesn't come as a disappointment either. I think they arced that character. Surely by the end of that film, it had been thrown into a big dark cell. So I'm assuming that's how they would write the character out uh, and by the sound of things, because over the last week or so, there have been some plot points leaked on whether they're accurate or not uh, yeah. being leaked out into the world about the Submariner, uh, Nomura, the undersea world. And, and the, there's even been some images and how they've kind of tied it into sort of Mayan culture, which is kind of a very interesting way to go with, with the Submariner. Um, They've uh, uh, produced a look of the Submariner, which arguably very different from the comic book version. Yeah. But it is its own thing. And, and I come to expect that. Uh, I wanted him to wear those green underpants and have the wings on his ankles. Well, he has got green <laughs> underpants and he has got wings on his ankles, apparently. But there is sort of a big tie into, uh, into sort of Mayan, uh, Mayan culture, which is uh, quite an interesting way of going with it. So, And there's also the rumor that Doctor Doom is appearing in uh, Submariner with a released picture which looks a little bit like fan cosplay to me but it was only a, a very grainy picture so who knows Yeah, I'm taking all the leaked information with a huge pinch of salt because we constantly get the leaked inf- information but until it's confirmed if, if you backtrack it through the various articles most of them end up going back to Big Freaking Robot or some other junk website like that that just throw spitballs ideas and hopes for the best but the, the reason, I mean, apparently Kaluuya's character was potentially going to be part of Wakanda Forever, but it was because of the constant setbacks in the filming during and before that it led to conflicts All with right. his filming on Nope. And so he had to sadly back out of it. I think he, he could be an interesting character to come back into the MCU at some point. I th- I th- you know, he's a great actor and his, his character was, it, it was a layered character. It was a complex character. It was an, another one that you could kind of see why he was doing what he was doing, why he was following the wrong people. Yeah. He'd been manipulated into it, but he thought it was for the best of Wakanda. And I'd like to see him come back. Well, we're getting the TV series, aren't we, as well? We're getting the Wakanda yes. TV series, so you never know. I mean, never say never. Who would have thought that Jane Foster would have been brought back into yep. the MCU, um, especially after the disappointing turn of uh, Thor Dark World. But hey, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. But Wakanda Forever is still currently slated for November the 11th, 2022. Whether that will change, well, I guess we'll find out at Comic-Con. And in addition, Daniel Kaluuya, have you seen that he, he's planning an adaptation of Barney the Dinosaur? I have not seen of that, nor would I have been <laughs> interested in any way whatsoever. <laughs> apparently this is still in early development at his own production company um, the script is getting a rework before it heads into production and he's previously indicated he's looking for a more nuanced approach to the material I'm not sure how nuanced you can get with Barney unless it's, unless <laughs> it's like Barney the dark years he's a washed up TV presenter living a life of uh, feeble guest appearances at conventions drinking that's just death to smoochie exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> we've already had that film and it's absolutely brilliant and i thoroughly recommend and not seen by enough people yeah 
I got it for um, getting Letter of the Month in Total Film right. many, many years ago when it came out. Got a copy of it on DVD sent through to me. I was like, yay, loved it. Good movie. Um, that, might have to deep dive that at some point. Or deep dive, like, you know, Robin Williams's darker career. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Samara Weaving, from Ready or Not, got a lot of time for Samara Weaving. Yeah, she was great. I think in, she's, uh, she's a horror icon. In Bill uh, and Babysitter. Ted yeah, Bill and Ted. And Tony Ravalori, Spider-Man No Way Home, are joining the new cast of Scream the new Scream sequel for Spyglass Media. Uh, we already knew that Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy-Brown, Mason Gooding and General Ortega were returning from the previous film and Hayden Pan- Panettiere is coming back from the fourth film. And new cast members also include Dermot Mulrooney from My Best Friend's Wedding. I'm calling it now. He gets killed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's something a sweepstake. <laughs> the story on this one is that the four survivors of the Ghostface killings leave Woodsboro to try to start a fresh chapter only to find that Ghostface follows them. Gary Busick and James Vanderbilt are writing again, and Matt Bettelini open, and Tyler Gillett are back as directors. I'm on board for this. I loved what they did with the revitalising the Scream franchise. And yes, people are still campaigning for Neve Campbell to come back. I don't think that she needs to. I think it's passing that mantle, isn't it? Yeah, it just becomes a token cameo. Yeah. If they keep bringing her back now, we don't need it. She's her story's complete. This is a new group of survivors, and these are the people who I'm interested in. And I'm happy with Samara Weaving entering it into this fray. I'm happy with Samara Weaving in anything. She is absolutely marvelous. Uh, filming begins over the summer, as long as the heat doesn't stop people from filming, and uh, it will hopefully get released early next year. So there's been a lot of word on the casting of Dune Part Two. Uh, we mentioned some of the casting uh, additions over the last couple of weeks. All uh, of Hollywood. All of Hollywood is a bit like <laughs> Knives Out too. Suela Jacob has joined the cast of Dune Part 2. Andy, do we know what role she has? Yes, she's going to be playing. It's only a minor character, literally. When we say minor, um, she really didn't have much impact on any story. A member of the Fremen tribe from the Siege Tabar uh, during the time of Paul Atreides's residing there, uh, named Shishakli. Basically, in the books, she gave Paul his own maker hooks to use, since Paul did not have any of his own. That's all that she did. She <laughs> might get a little bit more to do in, in this one. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we've discovered so far with um, Dune Part 1 in particular, and from what we're hearing about Dune Part 2, is that Villeneuve is expanding the minor characters to flesh them out a bit more, so they're not just background characters that everyone's got a reason to be in in there and everyone's contributing something. Either way, I'm there day one. Uh, Channing Tatum is negotiating to star and Greg Belanti is signed on to direct the big budget Project Artemis for Apple Studios. Tatum will join Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, that had Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson in place yes. at one point. We talked about this. Not that long ago. Yep, Evans had to bow out during uh, due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, Jason Bateman was originally slated to direct the feature, but left in early June, creative differences being cited. Um, but it's based on a script written by Rose, Rose Gilroy, um, and it's dubbed a romantic comedy set against the backdrop of the 1968 Apollo 11 moon launch. Further specifics are completely under wraps, but it's coming from Apple. And we like Apple. We like Apple. Hey, have you seen Black hey, Mar- yet, by the way? I've not seen Blackbird wow. yet, no. Say no more. We'll talk about it when it's a neat thing in a couple of weeks. Um, but this marks Berlanti's fourth directorial effort. He's otherwise known as one of TV's biggest producers of content. 
behind the scenes on things like Doom Patrol, The Flash, Riverdale, Flight Attendant. Yeah, I'm, I'm on for it. Uh, what I'm now, I'm hoping this is going to work because I do like John Ham. We like John Ham a lot, and I do like the source materials that they're drawing from. But I'm worried that my love of the Chevy Chase films might get in the way of it, and that is Confess Fletch, the new film adaptation of the investigative reporter character Erwin Fletch Fletcher, which has now set its release plans out. Well, we talked about John Hamm being cast in the role of Fletch. Um, you and I are of a generation which grew up with Chevy Chase in the role of Fletch. The first Fletch movie is great, I like it an awful lot. I'm just going to point out, and I get get what you mean, because if you're comparing it to uh, the Chevy Chase versions, then then clearly he's nothing like Chevy Chase's take on Fletch. However, he is closer to the book's take on Fletch. Yeah. I, I want to enjoy this when it comes out. But this film is going to see Fletch find himself a suspect in a murder case, all whilst, whilst his own investigation into a stolen art collection puts his heiress girlfriend on the suspect list. Uh, the character, like we've said, was famously played by Chevy Chase in two prior films. Ham hopes to play the character, not just in this film, but he intends it to be a multiple film franchise. John Slattery, Cal McLaughlin, Marcia Gay Harden and Annie Momalo, all co-star, while Greg Matola, who gave us Superbad, again, that's someone who I've got time yeah. for, is directing from a script co-written with Zev Borrow. Merrimax has licensed worldwide distribution rights to Paramount Global Content. As a result, it will get a limited theatrical release and a day-and-date video-on-demand release in September the 16th in the US, hopefully not too soon afterwards for the UK. I, I'm a, not a huge fan of the Fletch books. I have I've read a couple of them, and they are very enjoyable uh, nonsense with a wry sense of humour to it. And, and as we've said on this programme, we've seen the evolution of, of the attempts to get Fletch back onto the big screen. There was a great Kevin Smith uh, adaptation of Fletch One, which was supposed to have had Jason Lee in the lead role, which I could easily imagine uh, Jason Lee uh, playing Fletch. But John Hamm, we like. Interestingly enough, for something cropped up on a conversation I was following, if you were going to add John Hamm into the MCU, who would he play? Answers on Twitter. Why not? We've not had a Twitter challenge, but if <laughs> if you want to take part, who could John Hamm play in the MCU? Anyway, moving on. Looking forward to Fletch. Emerald Fennell, who gave us the rather excellent Promising Young Woman, is joining, joining Anna de Armas for the John Wick spin-off project Ballerina. Fennell is going to team up with John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum screenwriter Shay Hatton and director Len Wiseman to punch up the script a bit, much in the way that Phoebe Waller-Bridge recently did for um, Bond's final outing, No Time to Die. The film will see Diarmas as a young female assassin who seeks revenge against those who killed her family. Diarmas herself has revealed the collaboration in a recent magazine interview, indicating she had a hand in the hiring and sought out Fennell herself. Fennell served as showrunner on the second season of Killing Eve, taking over from Waller Bridge, who created and showran the first season, and is an actress who most recently played Camilla Parker Bowles in the fourth season of The Crown. Uh, Ballerina is going to come out after Reeves returns in John Wick 4, which is already shot and ready to be released. We've just got to wait for it next year, March 24th, 2023. And then we'll hopefully find a date for Ballerina not, not too soon afterwards. It was the story that shook Hollywood back in the heady days of 2017. Two New York uh, Times reporters, Megan Towerby and Jody Cantor, worked together tirelessly 
to break the most important and vital story in Hollywood that changed our understanding of what it means to be a man in power within that industry. And it launched the Me Too movement. And now we are getting a big screen adaptation of that story, starring Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan as the two erstwhile reporters. This is called She Said, and it's helmed by an orthodox director, Rebecca Lengsfitz, whose previous work included Colette and Disobedience, and has written the screenplay. And that comes out, I believe, in November. Yes, um, US date at the moment is November the 18th, still waiting on a UK release date. I imagine it'll be around about the same time because it's not a film that they'll tend to hold off on. On a similar kind of scandal-related movie project over in the UK, while America was having its Hollywood thing, in the UK, we had uh, the Prince Andrew scandal. Did we? (laughs) (laughs) Did we really? You know what? That's how much and little I know and care about royal family stuff. Yeah, of course we did. He didn't sweat over it while he ate his pizza. Uh, But there's an upcoming feature called Scoop from Peter Moffat. Oh, good. To um, which is going to be based on the former Newsnight producer Sam McAllister's just published book, Scoops. And we'll explore the story of how the BBC's Newsnight programme obtained November, the two, November 2019's bombshell interview with the disgraced Duke of York. This is that famous interview where he spoke about going to get pizza and where he claimed he had a medical condition that stopped him from sweating whilst he was sweating. Uh, the interview was conducted by Didn't journalist Emily well, Mattel. Did Didn't go well. No. Um, Emily Makeless and went into his friendship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, who was found dead in his cell two months prior. The interview had such a huge impact that Andrew was basically banished from royal duties and was absent during the Queen's Platinum Jubilee festivi- festivities this past month. Claiming he had COVID, if I remember. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, if anything's going to make you sweat, it's going to be COVID. Uh, I know that from experience. Um, The project aims to explore how the Newsnight team secretly secured the interview with the Royal, along with the actual filming of it, and explores the obvious question of why he agreed to do it in the first place. And who have they got currently targeted to play Prince Andrew? I have no idea, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. Well, none other than the comedy legend that we mentioned last week, Hugh Grant. Fantastic. Anything with Hugh Grant in. He's just one of those actors, the older he's got, the more mature he's got, and he's become a character actor now as opposed to being a leading man which is a probably the way of all aging leading men but yeah. he's he has become absolute gold i've always had a, a soft spot for for you grant I, I thought he was highly highly underrated he was had that carrie grant-esque charm to him and as he as he got older and he and he learned to to sometimes break out of it he was uh he was always the top of my british leading men list i know he played a type it played that type perfectly and and did very well uh, and proved with especially about a boy that he he could he could play against type on it yeah um i've got a lot of time i i never used to gravitate towards him but i think it was about a boy that turned me round to what he was capable of when he starts to play with people's preconceptions of what yeah. characters he's going to play and over recent years you know he's played gangsters for guy Ritchie. he's he's really started to grow his range of products and you can't shoehorn him now into oh well that's a Hugh Grant film because he appears in pretty much everything well if he gets cast as Prince Andrew um, this will be a film which is going to be similar to um, Frost Nixon where it's going to explore the lead up to a, getting an exclusive interview with a very disgraced public figure 
whilst it won't use any of the real BBC footage, it will recreate, like Frost Nixon did, some of the chunks of the interview itself to play out in the same way. I'm in. Some people say, why, why do this? You do this for the same reason that we did Frost Nixon, because it allows you to explore how journalists, and this is journalists who are doing jobs that journalists should do, not just journalists who uh, just make up news and then just post clickbait. This is journalists securing real, breaking, exclusive drama news. And it's always interested me to see behind the scenes on the news media, the proper yeah. news media. So we've not heard a lot from Sam Taylor Johnson since Fifty Shades of Grey. And apparently that didn't go the way that she wanted it to and was taken out of her hands. She started her directing career after being an artist with Nowhere Boy, which I've got some time for. But she's coming back to direct the Amy Winehouse biopic, Back to Black. I'm interested to see what Taylor Johnson can actually do when she's not working on a big studio production and looking at something a bit more personal. And Amy Winehouse's life was explored beautifully in a, the documentary not long after she died. Amy. Yeah, it's a great film. I do think there's a really, really good biopic story to be told there. Looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Lots of quick casting news. So Stranger Things Breakout Joe Keery along with Aldous Hodge and Camilla Marone, are going to lead Keir O'Donnell's romantic heist, Marmalade, which is wrapped shooting in Minnesota. The story centres on a naive small-town man, Keary, who ends up in jail and narrates the colourful tale of a romantic bank heist to his cunning cellmate to escape and reunite with the alluring love of his life, played by Marone. Bill Nye and Connie Nielsen are going to join Kaylee Cuoco and David Oliowo in Thomas Vincent's role play. Studio Canal, which the script revolves around a married couple whose lives turn upside down when secrets come out about their pasts. Karen Gillan, Jermaine Fowler, Margaret Sophie Stein, Kevin Nealon and Talia Balsam are going to star in the Lisa Steen directed comedy Late Bloomers, which follows an aimless millennial who drunkenly breaks her hip landing in physical therapy. There she makes an elderly Polish best friend for life who speaks no English but gives her the courage to face her mother's early onset Alzheimer's. And you've got The Deliverance, which sees Omar Epps, Demi Singleton, Miss Lawrence and Anthony B. Jenkins joining the cast in an exorcism thriller for Netflix. Andra Day plays a mother who fights for her life, her faith and the souls of her children after discovering their new home is haunted by a demonic presence. Glenn Close, Monique, Caleb McLaughlin and Tasha Smith co-star alongside them. We also have news that Solo and Brave New World star Alden Ehrenrich is set for an unknown but apparently key role for Marvel Studios' Ironheart series on Disney+. Plus, I'm calling it, he's the villain. I'm calling it, he's the villain. It's pretty much pretty much determined that he will, we will, will be the villain character. Uh, Dominique Thorne is going to star in that series as Riri Williams, the genius inventor and creator of the most advanced suit of armour since Iron Man. Uh, Anthony Ramos is also on board the series, which recently set Chinaka Hodge as head writer. It's Marvel. We're there, and it's Marvel on TV in particular, which I'm definitely there for. Hey, talking of which, did you see the last episode of Miss Marvel? I did indeed. God, it's so charming, that series. And she just eludes charm. Uh, great series. Um, I know we should be talking about this in our post-review, but uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. This is one of the things I've, I've said this week, that you know what? With Marvel films not quite performing how people are expecting at the box office, I'd be more than happy if they dropped Marvel film cinema releases down to two one maximum year. per year, one or two yeah, okay, per two. year, okay, two but focused fast. on the TV shows. In fact, I'd be happy for them to just do primarily TV shows because 
every series has felt like opening a comic book. Because you're getting six to eight episodes, it's like a six to eight issue volume of a crossover story. And it gives it a lot more time to grow the characters. And Miss Marvel has just been absolute icing on a very delicious cake of Marvel shows of recent years. Yeah. And educational too. Yes. Uh, we pointed this out last week, but you know, if you didn't uh, didn't know the history of um, Pakistan, well, after watching Miss Marvel, you will understand a lot more about it. And if that's sparked your interest to go and research more, thoroughly recommend researching more and finding out about it. Now, we've just done casting news. How about not casting news? Okay, is that a new segment we're bringing in? The not casting? I didn't get cast as John Constantine. Well, we've heard the rumours that um, Ryan Gosling has been approached by Marvel Studios to star in the Nova movie, which the studio has been developing. Well, he's dismissed all them. He's basically replied to any questions on it, saying that all the rumours are completely untrue. He's not been approached to play Nova. He's never had that conversation. But Gosling is actually interested in talking to Marvel Studios about playing none other than the flaming skull hero, Ghost Rider. Yeah, I can see that. So, Feige, if you're listening, we want that. Yeah. We want that. Two films we a get- year, Feige. Uh, and one of those is a Ghost Rider film. You should listen to us. We know what we're talking about. We're the voice of the streets, of the cinema streets. We're the and, geek and, in the know. Another bit of not cast news. Um, <laughs> and and we saw this coming eventually. Kevin Spacey is no longer going to be starring in the historical drama 1242 Gateway to the West. Big surprise. was being shopped in Cannes back in May. Uh, the film was set to follow a holy man played by Spacey in a Hungarian castle that serves as the last hope to stop Genghis, Genghis Khan's armies from invading Europe. When this casting announcement was first made, the controversy around it, because all the controversy around Kevin Spacey is all coming to a head at the moment. He has just been charged in the UK with four counts of sexual assault and one of causing a person to engage in penetrative sexual activity without consent. Spacey has pleaded not guilty to all five counts. And we're not going to speculate one way or the other whether he's guilty or not, because that's for the courts to decide. But there was no way that anyone was going to continue with him in a film whilst this is so high profile. Uh, Yes. I mean, we have seen the rise, spectacular rise of Kevin Spacey. And now we are seem to be witnessing the spectacular fall Uh, and only a few short years, if you think about it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see this court case play out. Whether it be as public profile as what uh, the Amber Heard one was is another story. And talking of Amber Heard, her attempts to go back to court and overturn the judge's decision because of uh, apparently an, an issue with one of the witnesses has now been turned down quite flatly by all parties, that is the legal party. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that her lawyers have basically said that she's not going to pay the money that the courts have told that she needs to pay. That's not going to end well for her. Nothing's no. going to end well for her. Disney, with their live-action CG hybrid remakes of their old animated features, they've been very hit or miss. Yes. We've had the release of the trailer for The Little Mermaid. I'm still not sold on it. However, have you seen that the Lilo and Stitch one is now now being set to go into production? Well, we mentioned that it was a possibility... Not that long back. It could have been post. I've started to notice now, I say not that long back, but then again, we look at uh, things like um, uh, the pandemic years and you go, (laughs) actually three years ago. Uh, I'm sure we mentioned that it was in development, but has it moved forward? They've now got Chris Kakanio Kalani. Bright is in final negotiations to pen the script, which is just being called Stitch, which was first put into development back in 2018 when Mike Van Wace was writing the screenplay. 
Uh, for those who've never seen the animated movie, and I'm not a huge fan of it. I know that there is a, a huge following out there who loved it. The Hawaii set story follow, follows the bond formed between a lonely human girl named Lilo and a dog-like alien named Stitch, who's engineered to be a force of destruction. Pursuing aliens, social workers, and the theme of family bonds figure into proceedings. Dan Lin and Jonathan Elric are producing it. Uh, so we're getting closer to it going into production. But I, I'm i not sold on this one because uh, have you seen the, the um, online artists who've come up with like the what things would look like if what Disney characters would look like if they were real? Uh, no, I don't think I have. No, there's, there's some great like feeds out there where people have taken Disney princesses and made like done like real humanized versions of them and things like that with the same kind of body molds that they got and they look distorted. And th- there's a picture of Stitch and it looks horrifying. And so I'm, I'm really scared that uh, making a live action Lilo and Stitch is going to be terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Um, I, I thought it was okay. I, I thought that uh, it was enjoyable. I don't think it was a classic Disney, but it did very well on merchandising. And that's what kept it alive more than anything yeah. else. And aside from that, there's uh, also just final news that Adam Scott, who is absolutely marvellous in Severance on Apple TV, yep. is the latest to join Sony the Pictures. The latest victim. The latest victim of Sony Pictures <laughs> and Marvel with Madam Web, um, which is being led by Dakota Johnson. And there's no details on his, the role that he's going to play. And I feel sorry for him for getting embroiled into that mess. Adam Scott, you're better than this. And that's about it for this week's news, because there's nothing I'm going to comment on the back end of that. <laughs> uh, sadly, just to point out the passing, and it's not had a lot of uh, big news coverage of Monty Norman. And you may not recognize the name, but you will certainly recommend one of his most distinctive themes, often credited to John Barry. But it was, in fact, Monty Norman who came up with the theme to James Bond. Monty Norman passed away at the age of 94. He's had a, a battle with a short illness over the past few months. Uh, the news of his, his passing was released through his official website. He composed the score for the first Bond film, Doctor No, way back in 1962. Include, and he also included the Under the Mango Tree song, which was sung by Norman's first wife, Diana Coupland. Um, he created the Bond theme, but then the Bond theme has been more attached to the name of John Barry, because John Barry, that young fellow Englishman, came along, beefed up some parts of it, rearranged parts of it, and gave us that iconic segment that opens every Bond film with the tracking of the gun battle. Um, It's one of the most famous bits of music in the past 60 years, and even if you've never seen a Bond film, you will recognise the Bond theme tune because it's so iconic. Norman was never asked back to the franchise because Barry then took over complete composing duties with the second film, and he remains the name most identified with the sound of Bond, which is probably why this news of his passing has kind of gone under the radar for a lot of people because it's only really the the bond devotees like ourselves who have always recognized that it was monty norman who came up with it he was also responsible for a variety of other works including the two faces of dr jekyll the day the earth caught fire dickens of london and quick before they catch us and also was a famed stage musical composer working on titles such as poppy Make Me an Offer, Songbook, and Expresso Bongo. I've got to point out that Expresso Bongo is a fantastic film that stars, interestingly, uh, Cliff Richards. But don't let that put you off if it ever crops up, because it is a, it's a really, really good film about uh, the burgeoning uh, 60s music scene. Mumsy, if you're listening, he didn't mean any um, negativity towards Cliff Richard there. <laughs> my mum's a huge cliff richard fan <laughs> all right no no not at all uh but it's, it's a great movie if we get a chance to see it 
So that is the sad passing of Monty Norman. And this is this week's news. Still with us, still enjoying the podcast, still enjoying the film file, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks. All we ask is if you're not already, is to become a subscriber. All you have to do, head over to your favorite podcast platform, hit the subscribe button of the film file, and every week you'll get this dropped into your ears directly, not even through the aids of technology. It's just going to get dropped straight into your ears because that's how cool we are. You'll get bonus episodes and you'll get other outstanding shows as well. And you can join us as well every Thursday on No Barriers Radio. If you want to know more about The Film File, all you have to do is this. Head on over to Twitter, follow us at Film File UK. Head on over to other social media platforms, follow us at Film File UK. Just search for that, you'll find us. Or drop us an email. Liaise with us directly. You can email us podcast at filmfile.uk with any thoughts, suggestions, lists of films that you love, list of, act- list of actors that you love, things that you want us to talk about, things you recommend we never talk about. One of them we're probably going to be talking about today, which is Sucker Punch. Just get in touch with us. We're happy to hear from all of the Film File family out there. And now it's time for this week's Deep Dive. Released in 2011, this is a psychological fantasy action film directed by Zack Snyder. It is Sucker Punch. I lost everyone I've ever loved. Then they locked me away. What are you looking for? I need to get out of here. These are your weapons. If you succeed, it will set you free. We can do this. Sucker Punch was Snyder's first film based on one of his own original concepts. The film starred Emily Browning as Baby Doll, a young girl who is committed to a mental institution. As she collects items she needs for her escape, she seems to enter a series of fantasy worlds where she and her fellow inmates are strong and experienced warriors. The film also stars Abby Cornish, Jaina Malone, Vanessa Hudkins, Jamie Chung, Carla Guioni, Oscar Isaacs, and in the extended version, John Hamm. The film was released in March 2011 to, well, generally less than positive reviews and was deemed a box office failure. There are two versions of this film out there and potentially even a third. One is the theatrical cut, which we'll mention. We will also talk about the director's cut, which I think we've both seen. And the proposed director's director's extended cut because hey after all this is Zack Snyder Snyder. (laughs) Andy um you caught up with this recently I protested having seen it twice (laughs) didn't really fancy going back because it made all the impact it was going to make yeah um I re-watched this this week and after watching it I sent Lee a message saying I've just re-watched Sucker Punch that means we're deep diving it that's the law (laughs) (laughs) I never knew. <laughs> and this this is an interesting one for me because this is a film that I have now rewatched eight times. So I have seen it in total nine times. The first time at the cinema and then the eight times of revisiting it through the years. In just over 10 years, I've watched this film almost once per year. So you'd think you must be a huge fan and you couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> I hate this film. I absolutely hate it. So why do I keep going back to it? Now, a bit of backstory and a bit of context. I was a huge fan of Snyder. When Dawn of the Dead came out, it's marvellous. And it still is marvellous. We've spoken about it a few times on the show. It's still, still a great remake. 
it's possibly the best remake of a horror film that there's ever been, as far as I'm concerned. Except maybe, I don't know, John Carpenter's the thing. No, I'm glad you said that, because I was about to <laughs> um, 300, I have a lot of love for. It's problematic, but the problems are not from Snyder's side of it. I think he actually improved on the very problematic Frank Miller original graphic novel. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. It's basically the graphic novel done on screen and the framing of it the slow motion works beautifully the imagery his styling Snyder's stylings work perfectly and then you get to Watchmen which oh I I love that film I love what he did with it the changes that he made because I think he changed them to make it work as a cinema medium rather than the comic book medium I think giant squid from space wouldn't have quite played as well on the big screen I can keep going back to Watchmen and keep enjoying it we should deep dive Watchmen because I agree with everything that you've said about Watchmen, uh, except the fact that I still feel it was the wrong director. Not that he, he didn't bring anything fresh and exciting to it. He, he, he yeah. brought some amazing visuals, but it was too glitzy. He was too much of a, of a glitzy here I am director. And what he needed was somebody who was a grittier director. Anyway, that's me on Watchmen. When Sucker Punch was going into production and Snyder was describing it himself as Alice in Wonderland with guns and said it was based on a new idea that he's come up with and he's been working on the idea for ages, drawing on like all his fascinations with, you know, war films, fantasy films, sci-fi, and he wanted to meld it all together. I was like, you know what? I'm in for this. This would be interesting to see what he can do. And then I walked out at the end of the film going, what have I just watched? And please, Zach, don't ever make your own story again. And since then, he's he's not really impressed me. Pretty much everything he's done since has uh, been, well, I, I hated what he did with his uh, uh, Man of Steel. Yeah, I absolutely despised all of his DC films. When we spoke about it, I've got some love for him exploring his... Uh, Army of the Dead universe, and you know, because I've only watched that once, I'm not going. Don't ever go back. You said you said don't go back because you'll start to notice all the problems. So I'm happy with that, and I'm happy that he's getting to play with his own universes again. And it, you know, we're both kind of intrigued with his uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. I mean, uh, Star Wars. I mean, uh, um, Rebel Moon. <laughs> that, that joke's never going to get old. No, not on this show anyway. But Sucker Punch was the turning point for my love of Snyder. I no longer get really excited about Snyder's releases because of Sucker Punch. And even though I enjoyed Army of the Dead, I can't get too excited about anything else that he's working on because of Sucker Punch. So why have I watched it nine times? The music. And it's all the music. I mean, visually, it's spectacular. It's very striking. Snyder certainly knows how to plan out a great image. His slow motion is used to glorious effect within this film. And the battle choreography and the fantasy settings is marvellous. It's easy to follow. It's well woven. It's got some stylizations in there to really give it atmosphere. But it's the music because each of these key scenes in this film have remakes of a variety of pop tunes from throughout the decades. There's bits of Beatles in there with Tomorrow Never Knows. There's Björk in there with Army of Me. There's Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit in there. And even the non-action moments, the music sets a tone. Emily Browning provides her own melancholy renditions of Sweet Dreams Are Made Of These and Where Is My Mind. And it's beautiful. It's a soundtrack album I play quite frequently. And it's because of that soundtrack album 
that I keep going back to this film because whenever I listen to the soundtrack album, it brings back the memories of the excellent visuals that accompanied it. Each of these moments that these songs are playing out is like a great MTV music video. And so I start to think, well, maybe the film isn't as bad as I thought it was. And I'll go back to it and then I'll watch the whole film and still enjoy the visuals, still enjoy the music. But by the end of it, go, why have I just spent two hours watching a film that I don't like? Yeah, I can get that. There, there are films that I dislike that I do I do often go back to uh, and never realise why. The issues that I have with it are, are purely in the screenplay. I think the visual style is fantastic. I think the fantasy sequences are breathtaking. They literally bring stuff to the screen that we have never seen before. Pure comic book, almost metal hurl on, you know, the heavy metal comic sort of style approach. Absolutely brilliant. If the movie had been those four sequences, those four fantasy sequences, with a better wraparound story, I'd have been in for it. But I have a lot of problems. So, as I said, the plot features a young woman called Just Baby Doll, who is committed to a mental hospital by her stepfather, which is suggested that the stepfather kills her sister. And also there's uh, uh, elements of sexual abuse. And then we get to this this mental hospital, this hyper-real mental hospital, where Baby Doll is kind of idolized into these sort of odd dance routines which lead into these fantasy lands. And it becomes a kind of a middle-aged man's prepubescent fantasy, sexual fantasy about, about young women doing... Uh, adventurous stuff this and that's where i find the film to be problematic i i enjoy all the sequences which are the escapist sequences and every time they escape there is a, a plot point that helps a baby doll to uh, pull together all the right information she needs a key a map etc etc to to help yeah. her escape uh, the mental hospital that's kind of the plot if i remember correctly yeah i mean the film feels like a mashup of video game cut scenes with a rather loose plot to hang it on that thinks it's cleverer than it actually is, which is something that becomes quite typical from Snyder. Uh, Snyder, to his credit, is a bit of a fanboy. And in early interviews while he was making this film, he discussed that his idea was to tap into the kind of fandom elements that he liked, giant mecha, robot samurai, World War I battles, orcs, mythical quests. But the film is problematic because the misogyny, which is on show, is terrible. Snyder has, since the film got released, tried to describe it as a female empowerment film, given that it's about a group of females incarcerated in a mental institution who get revenge and help one escape. But when looked at with scrutiny, it still results in the men mainly beating the women down and requires a sage-like male, played excellently by you know the ever-excellent Scott Glenn, to help them throughout. The poor ladies can't do anything without a man. And add in the story method, which... As you've kind of described around, it plays out as a fantasy in the mind of the most recent entry into the asylum, Baby Doll, who, as she's about to be lobotomized, we flash to her mind's eye where the asylum is seen as a brothel and the girls are all dancers, seducing the males to distract them while they plot their escape. And then, Inception style, each dance sees a further fantasy within the fantasy, where they dress in titillating outfits while battling aforementioned sci-fi and fantasy beasts. And that's where it gets really problematic, because the the outfits that they're wearing, which are basically anime babe style clothing, is just there for 13-year-old boys' titillation. Nothing more. When commented on why Snyder dressed them like that in recent years, his reply has been, I didn't dress them like that, you did. Which he's attempting to say that they were dressed like that because that's what he expected the geek fandom that would lap up this film to want. He was doing it in an ironic kind of way. But that's nonsense. 
he had a chance to not dress them like that. Yeah, he wrote the script. He could have done something really clever and creative with this and made it more empowering for the females than just making it into a film that teenage schoolboys will gravitate towards because, way, they look pretty and they're not wearing many clothes. It didn't need to be so much eye candy. So no, Zach, you dress them like that. We didn't. We didn't choose for them to be dressed like that. You chose for them to be dressed like that. They could have been wearing Black Widow-style full body suits. They'd have been just as effective. I said at the head of it, the cast of this are great. Everyone's throwing their all into it, but they're just working with such subpar material that it all falls apart. Emily Browning is marvellous. She doesn't say much through the film. She's very quiet, but everything is in her eyes. Every element of her character is in her eyes. You mentioned the quick moments of John Hamm, who in the extended version gets a bit more screen time. Literally, in the cinema version, he was the person who lobotomizes her, and that's it. Yeah. Um, he, he literally had five seconds worth of screen time. And there's moments of this film and the story that could have done something really, really clever and creative. But in the end, like I said, it's a series of cut scenes from video games mashed into one that isn't as exciting as a video game because at least with a video game you're controlling some elements of the lead character's story i still think that all the characters are under threat of sexual violence throughout of it and i find that problematic yes uh, they're either under threat of of being murdered or being raped and it's not enough for Zack snyder to say well hey you know it's this is this is our fault for thinking about this. You you made the movie, you wrote the script, you directed it, you you cast it, you uh, had choices on costume, and you decided to make that the heart of your film, where women are beaten and berated and molested and killed or lobotomized or, or mistreated in some way. And that is the, the beating heart of, of this film. So, yes, on one hand, you could see how he tries to defend that as being this is a female empowerment film. Um, but on the other hand, uh, by projecting this this idea that all, all these women are victims all the way through and uh, the fantasy sequence are there just to titillate men. It is a part a parts of it I just think are abhorrent. Yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense by the time <laughs> it, it, it finishes. It doesn't have anything to say. It doesn't say anything. It's just some very, very pretty sequences, which are very fanboy anime style, which we've never seen on the big screen before. Yeah. And it's about the style over substance, which sadly for me is is what a lot of Zack Snyder's movies are. I think he's a great visualist. I think he does very interesting things with cinema. Uh, and he, all of his all of his work is very, very cinematic. It's secondary whether the plot should make sense. I mean, just look at Army of the Dead. Yeah. As long as it looks, hey, that looks cool, and the hey, look, that looks cool in this film is is outweighed by the elements of it which are incredibly, incredibly problematic. With regards, you're saying that the story doesn't make any sense. Now, this is kind of interesting in a way because I've rated this half a star better on my most recent watch than it used to be. Okay, you've found something new in it. Yeah, on my ninth time of watching this film, it's become a two-star film. And that's because it took me nine times to finally make sense of the story. <laughs> and that's a problem. You've watched it twice. It's still a muddled mess. Every time that I've watched it, I've kind of gone, oh, I can kind of see what that's linking to now. And this time around, I think I finally got the whole story. I think I know exactly what's going on all the way through it. 
and it's still not good. <laughs> so uh, nine times to get to a two star film. It started off when I first watched it. It was like a one star. So it's gradually climbed up as I've rewatched it. So maybe, you know, if I watch it another uh, 27 times, we'll get it up to four and a half stars. So in 20 years, <laughs> you might get to four and a half stars. And I will go back and I will rewatch this. Last time that I rewatched this, I sat and watched it with my daughter and she loved it. But then again, she was about 11 at the time. So 11 year old girls like Zack Snyder films, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will go back and rewatch this. And he's talking at the moment about the rumours of an even longer cut that persist out there. Because we know how Zach likes to stoke that fire because uh, it just starts Twitter campaigns that lead to him getting loads more money again to do something that he said was ready. Uh, but conveniently, he's claiming that the obtaining obtaining the footage that's missing is tied up in all sorts of legal issues, which basically right. means that he needs more money in order to fight these legal issues in order to get it. So will we get to see the full extended complete cut at some point, which we don't know what the extra content's going to be. We don't even know if he's filmed them yet, because let's be honest, he, he lied when it came to Justice League. But if it does ever surface that there's an even longer cut and we it gets the light of day, yes, I will go back and I will re revisit it. But in the meantime, I'm just going to keep listening to that soundtrack and convincing myself that I like this film more than I actually do. If you want to see Sucker Punch, you can find it where, Andy? It's on Amazon Prime in the UK at the moment. So you can find it on there. It's only the standard cinematic version. So it's not the extended version. Out of the two, I would recommend uh, the director's cut, which is it, it's slightly stronger. And I and I mean that's like adding a half a sugar to your coffee after you've got four in there anyway. <laughs> I'd recommend the cinematic version because it's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back again with another deep dive next week. Because I'm half blind, and, and I'll explain that later, I've not had a chance to see anything, but of course, Andy has... <laughs> Nothing else to do with his life. <laughs> yeah. Andy has bit the bullet and seen things that no man should ever see. Yes, uh, I've not had a chance to see Grey Man because the cinema down here isn't showing. It's only on a very Yeah, looking release. forward to that one. That's high on the list. So I've been delving into my back catalogue of films on streaming services. And let's start with Rise of the Foot Soldier Origins. What's your name again, fella? Tony. A man who knows how to fix problems. I've been known to. What's your problem? I've seen the first two films in this series, but I'd never bothered with the third and fourth because they're not drawn from the real-life elements that the first was. And so they seemed like unnecessary entries to the franchise. Forgive me if you like them, and you think that I should, but the first two films weren't great, and it was only the real-life story that made them interesting enough to watch. Here, for the final entry in the series, we return to the real life again as we follow the story of how Tony Tucker, played by Terry Stone, returned from the Falklands War broken and soon found himself drawn into the seedy underworld after his work as a doorman put him in positions to gain power. Encounters with a drug dealer and thief, Rolfie, and Craig Fairbrass's Pat Tate lead to him setting up his own firm of criminals. Again, we have a not-so-great film, but the real-life aspect does lend it some credence. The events that led to the rise and fall of the Essex boys are played out in a sweary and bloody manner from the start. And even though at times the acting and editing feel very staged, there's still enough in there to make you start to care for the plight of a few of the names. Yes, they were all thugs. And yes, all their misfortunes were brought upon themselves. 
but a few well-placed moments of levity make you stick around watching. It's probably my own love of learning about the rise of the various firms that became notorious throughout the 80s and 90s that kept me engaged. And if you don't care much for the real-life stories, then this is a subpar gangster film which looks cheap and even normally strong actors come over as archetypes. But it passed the time whilst also signalling that maybe they've made the right decision to stop the franchise after this film. So the whole Foot Soldier series, I, I saw the first one, hated it. I thought it was abysmal, thought it was amateurish. I can't believe that it's 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 a, it's a franchise that it has now gone on and, and made sequels. And clearly there's some kind of an audience there. But it sounds like this is based on true events. Wasn't the first film, though, based on true events? The first two were, and then the third and fourth ones were completely fictional. This, returning to the true, true story aspect, at least gives it some... It gives it something to make it intriguing. But it still feels like a student movie. It still feels low budget, low rent. And the timing between dialogue exchanges is so unnatural that it just doesn't flow. I can't believe they raised the money for it. I, I, I mean, kudos to anybody who can keep raising money for these movies. Uh, that amazes me more than anything else. Uh, maybe, the, maybe they're using criminal empires to actually fund their films. We don't know. <laughs> but it'd be very apt <laughs> if they are. I think I'll be back with Rise of the Foot Soldiers versus The, the Wolfman. I think that's might be the only time I'll, I'll be in. <laughs> uh, the next film is one that's been sat on my Netflix watch list for a while, but negative reviews had kind of dissuaded me from giving it a shot, even though the premise itself intrigued me and that is the ledge yeah come on let's do this well this weekend just got a whole lot more interesting so here we are wait let me get frat boys right we met at summer camp and started climbing the locals they just tried to climb the face but couldn't get past the ledge these are some pretty big rocks well if you need any help up there yeah, we can take care of ourselves i'm gonna hit the sack yo maybe she's had enough Maybe you should shut your mouth. You scared me. Hey, slow down, cowboy. Get off me! We are not going down for this. You mean just leave her like this? No. Jesus Christ, no! The camera. Get her! She's going for the face! Get her down! I'm coming for you, bitch! He's not gonna let her off this mountain alive. He's a psycho man. You're either with us or you're against us. Two friends are on a rock climbing adventure, but an encounter with a group of guys staying in the next cabin results in one of the women being killed. The other captures part of the killing on camera, but is spotted and flees for safety. Her only thought to outclimb the four guys as they try to capture her and cover up the evidence of the murder. Perilously nestled on the sheer face of the climb with no way down and the guys up above after they took the pathway route, it promises a tense atmosphere as she battles for survival. Promises, but is presented in such a flat, unengaging and sometimes even laughable manner that it simply fails to make you care. The guys are old friends, but one has a history of violence and misogyny, and whilst the other three seem like they were reining him in early on, and clearly could have done, contrived reasons have it that they simply let him be a scumbag example of toxic masculinity with absolutely no dimension to him. Whilst this could have worked well to give threat to the lone woman struggling to survive, it fails to create any tension 
primarily due to the editing and the direction. There's some lavish shots of the mountain face, some which would be vertigo-inducing if any effort was made, but most of the time we are simply looking at one face on a rock wall, giving no sense of peril, danger or scale. Multiple shots of scaling the surface get repetitive, and editing of some moments is jarringly bad. An early one with a complete rock face vanishing after the dead girl initially falls when seen from a different point of view is just laughable. It's maybe not as bad as some reviews have suggested, but it's still not worthy of any time being wasted on. It sounds like an intriguing premise. I've got to be honest. I mean, despite everything that you've just said, Andy, I I think that the premise is quite interesting and I can see why it would make a a good low-budget thriller. Clearly, from what you said, this is not a good low-budget thriller. And what else do you have? Now, this is my film of the week. So we've had three films that I've not really enjoyed. We've had Sucker Punches or Deep Dive. We had Rise of the Foot Soldier and we've had The Ledge. Now, I've never watched Bob's Burgers. I've never seen the TV show. I've seen one episode, that's it. And when the movie was coming out, even on this show, we were kind of like, "Eh, Bob's Burgers movie's out. Eh, Don't think it's for us. And it landed on Disney Plus this week. So I thought I'd give it a shot. Big things are coming for Summer Tina. Yeah, right. Whoa. In five days, the Bob's Burgers movie has dancing, zombies, explosions, robots, Buttons. Ooh, buttons. See, no. And yes, burgers. Mmm, that feels nice. I know. Don't rub my sesame seeds off. I won't. They're a cute couple. The Bob's Burgers movie. So I had a lot of fun with this film. Bob is struggling again with his burger restaurant. He's overdue on rent, and with a loan due back to the bank in seven days, the upcoming busy period at the nearby fun park should hopefully drive sales and help them out until a sinkhole opens up right in front of the store and uncovers a dead body. A murder investigation starts, and so Bob and his family seek a way to try to sell their burgers remotely, whilst also finding out who the murderer was. And from the start of this, I was chuckling. I've never watched the show, and I was worried that entering as someone who's not a fan of the show, it would be packed with in-jokes and references that I wouldn't be able to follow what's going along. But it works so well as its own thing. We are given all the information we need about Bob and his very strange family in the early scenes that we can just then enjoy the sometimes crazy antics of the group as they go about their business. Some of the witty lines come so thick and fast that you're still laughing from one thing so that you miss the next, which ensures that there's going to be a revisit of this in the not-too-distant future. The animation style is polished up a little from the TV series, much in the same way that the Simpsons movie was, and a handful of musical moments serve the story and the comedy well. By the end of the whole thing, I wanted to see more, and I've already added all 12 seasons of the show onto my watch list. Bob's Burgers is a fun way to pass your time, And it works so well, even for those who've never quite understood the appeal of a show about a restaurant. As I said, I've only seen one episode. Um, It seemed okay. It seemed pretty funny. I didn't know who the characters were. So I may, based on your recommendation and the fact that I have read good reviews for it across the board, give it a go. Not sure when that'll be. It's not high on the list of all the multitude of films that I've got to get around to watch. Yeah. So what else is out there? Grey Man landed in cinemas, uh, in selected cinemas, and then goes to Netflix next week. It does, yes. Uh, cinemas this next week, there's Where the Crawdads Sing, um, which is done okay in the US. So uh, it's got a good bit of buzz and it's got... Very good... popular book though, isn't it? Yes. So that should at least bring some business in as long as uh, the heat doesn't keep people away. 
Um, speaking of heat, on Now TV and Sky, Raging Fire. Donnie Yen action film about a cop whose past comes back to haunt him when he finds himself targeted. And we spoke about it, how it's done well in the US box office. Maybe it should have got a UK cinema release because Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, is going straight to Now TV and Sky. Right. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say on the matter. Uh, right. The Grey Man lands on Netflix this Friday. The Russos with Evans and Gosling, action thriller. What's not to like? Let's be honest. Apparently one of the biggest budgets that Netflix have ever ever fought out for yeah let's see if it actually lives up to it there's been some good word of mouth from the, the cinema release so yeah. i'm quite looking forward to catching this next week aside from that on streaming there's not really a lot but if you're a subscriber to britbox there's been a huge drop of brit flicks this week from slumdog millionaire 24-hour party people michael clayton hunger there's a wealth just landed Ooh, over the past week. Good stuff. All of those good movies. As well as like um they've now added three more seasons of Grange Hill on there. So hey, I can get I can get even closer up to date. Uh, there's loads to pick from which are being dropped on that channel. And if you're a lover of British film in any way, shape or form, the archive of British films on Britbox is now making that subscription service well worth checking out. Excellent. And I'm guessing then that is it for this week. But before we go and we do this every week, we tell you about our neat thing. Something that we've seen, watched, where we've eaten, where we've been out to, whatever's made an impression over the last week is our neat thing. So Andy, your neat thing, please. My neat thing this week. Now, <laughs> I could have quite easily just said it's uh, Bob's Burgers uh, <laughs> because I, I've start, I'm halfway through season one. But no, uh, my neat thing, I've gone to comic books this week. Now, a few months ago, I said that I'd signed up for DC Infinite. I decided to fill my time on my train journeys this past week with going back and exploring some past comics. And I've mostly been a Marvel collector over the years. And so I've fallen quite behind on DC, jumping on board every now and then. I jumped back on board with Rebirth. But I missed the, one of their post-crisis revamps back in 2006 when they did the okay. one year later. Now, this was after one of their many crises things it might have been the was it the flashpoint or i don't know which yeah. one but that whole crisis it was infinite, infinite crisis so many crises so little time the infinite crisis finished with my favorite dc character superman losing his powers and so the one year later picked up with a now powerless clark kent who's using his skills as a journalist to defend metropolis from both both organized crime and lex luther uh, Lex Luthor is newly bankrupt and disgraced due to his actions in the series 52. But gradually, Superman begins to regain his powers just in time to battle the embittered Luthor as he seeks to inflict his revenge upon Metropolis with the help of stolen Kryptonian battle technology and redesigned versions of the Toy Man and the Kryptonite Man. And this was everything that I love about the Superman character. And this is everything that Zack Snyder got wrong about the Superman character. Uh, Jeff Johns and Kurt Busiek with art by Pete Woods mean for a great story with lavish, beautiful, bright and colourful artwork. And the Clark Kent Superman character in this is the Boy Scout hero that he should be. He's always wanted to do the right thing. He's the, the icon that we should all look to and be inspired by. And it's a marvellous eight-issue story arc that I just devoured from start to finish. And now I'm going to continue through that era of the Superman tale right up until the New 52 era, and then I'll skip it and go back to Rebirth because the New 52 area got everything wrong with every character as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was, it was a mess. This one year later, up, up and away, 
story is a thoroughly recommended one. You can pick it up in graphic novel format, up, up and away, or subscribe to the DC Infinite subscription service for like 35 quid per year and get reading through the back catalogue of old stories. This has reminded me what I love about Superman and I am loving, loving exploring it. I'm interested to see what they did with the one year later on all the other characters now. So I'm going to be uh, digging through the archive on there. So that's my neat thing. Superman comics, particularly up, up and away. Um, I don't know that one. And, and it sounds very intriguing. I like Kurt Busiek. I think he's a great writer. His um, Marvels is still one of the yeah. best comic runs of all time. I, I read just the Batman take on the one year later, which was, was pretty good. You write about the New 52. It, it never landed. It was a, a mess. And the more that they tried to explain it, the more messy it became. Yeah. But no, I'm interested. I am really, really interested. Uh, my neat thing. Okay, so I have a tale to tell. So I had some eye surgery this week and it's left one eye incredibly sharp and the other one uh, very soft. And so I'm having real problems focusing on a screen for, for so long. It's driving me nuts. I'm going to have the other eye done and eventually uh, uh, my eyesight will be back to normal. I can't drive. I can't do any of the things I'm doing. It's It just makes walking around really difficult. So it's proving to be problematic. So I've been watching TV that I don't have to have to invest much in the way of, of brain space for uh, things that, that really need to watch to study uh, because it, it's just proving to be so annoying. So some of the best TV candy that I have enjoyed over the last week, and it has to be Lucifer. <laughs> so it's based on a DC Comics character created by Neil Gaiman who appeared in Sandman. The TV show bears very little resemblance to the excellent uh, graphic novels, uh, apart from this idea that Lucifer has left hell behind to run a bar as part of mankind. The TV series is very much a procedural with some supernatural elements. Isn't it? Now, I'm only into season one, but it is a lot of fun. Putting aside is nowhere near the vertigo comic but it is it is just that it's a very easy watch and as most procedurals are you know what's going to be happening next week is going to be a crime case of the week which will get solved and the characters will move on so we've got lucifer morningstar played with relish by tom ellis who is a british actor you might know probably only from miranda uh, which was that awful series mm -hmm. that that previous girlfriend made me watch as he uh, owns a nightclub now and he's drawn into crime with a female cop partner played by Laura German as Detective Chloe Decker. Okay, this is not on the standards of Better Call Saul. This is not up there with Umbrella Academy. But this is especially down to Tom Ellis. Just an awful lot of fun. Yeah. Now, I am told that subsequent episodes, because it was cancelled in the States, I think about Series 2, and then Netflix picked it up that it does go more into the supernatural element. So I'm sticking with it. But if you want something which is a, a light, enjoyable, take your brain out, enjoy the characters, then I can highly recommend Lucifer. And for my yeah. state of play at the moment, it has been, and you're going to use the term very lightly, a godsend. I will back you completely on that one. I love Lucifer from the start. Like you say, Tom Ellis is absolutely magnificent. Great, the interplay between him and Lauren German as Chloe is the heart of it. But all the expanded, all the other characters get expansions to their story arcs as it goes on. Season two 
the supernatural starts to ramp up. Season three was the last one with Fox, and then Netflix picked it up for a final three shorter seasons to tie up all the threads. And everything's a delight. My wife and my daughter have just re- I've just started watching it because they never got into it when I did, and they've started watching it and they are loving it as well. So yeah, I am one hundred percent behind you on that being a neat thing. Everyone should enjoy Tom Ellis's Lucifer. And, and Tom Ellis's Lucifer has now become my role model. I don't know what that says about <laughs> me, but it has become my role model. And that, folks, is it for this week. We'll be back next week for an episode where we're going to take a bit of a break afterwards because of you know holidays. So you will get a a special bonus episode um, for both uh, listeners on No Barriers Radio and subscribers to the podcast. But before we go, Andy, any big plans for this week? Trying not to die in the sun. You know what I'm like with the sun. I I can wear factor 7000 sunblock. It's just a bandage. And I end up looking like Dracula in the middle of a heat wave. Um, I just I just turn to ashes. So I'm lucky that, you know, when I'm down here in Banbury, work is literally three minutes walk away because I don't have to be in the sun that long. But I'm dreading my train journeys because they are going to be sweat boxes, absolute sweat boxes. So my plans are just to survive this week. <laughs> I just need to survive. I'll watch some Bob's Burgers to take the edge off. Sounds like <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll probably be eating some burgers to take the edge off. <laughs> um, there we go. We'll be back again next week. But Andy, when reality is a prison, your mind can set you free.